getting paper on this player haters old news money on the other line so i'm not gonna hold you ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of i'm not gonna hold you man i'm your host scott you know to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Barbchair Scott. You can follow the team HMB Media on Twitter and Instagram at, 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 at HMB Media TV. You can follow the Barber's Chair Network at, at Barber's Chair Net on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Barber's Chair Network. We got the $5 package if you just want to hear the Summer Sessions episodes with me, the homies Pavy, Damien, and my brother Flo's. Or if you want the whole package, you can subscribe right now for the $10 Barber's Chair All Access Package. We've, we're breaking down Soprano Season 3 with me and Flo Cinema with the guys. So check that out right now. I want to give a shout out to everybody who showed love to me last week um, with the Dame news and everything like that. You know, I appreciate all the comments, even the haters. I appreciate you for watching. It's all love on here, man. I wouldn't be out here just saying shit to be saying shit. So stay tuned. But let's get into it, man. Another week. Another crazy week in sports, man. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. NBA Finals is going down. First half of the MLB season. And, you know, a lot of other crazy stuff. But let's get into my sound off, man. My sound off this week is going to be on the man, the GOAT, Shohei Otani, a.k.a. Two-Way Shohei. Uh, He is out here just dominating the major leagues right now, you know, it's just something that I feel like we've never seen before and something I want a lot of people to pay more attention to, man. I understand they play in Orange County. They play for the second team in the greater Los Angeles area, which is the Anaheim Angels. But what he's doing is some shit that we've never seen before, man. Just look at the stats right now. He's batting 277. He's hitting 31 home runs as of when we're recording this. Now, who knows? He might hit another one tonight. He's leading the league right now in 31 home runs. He's got 68 RBI, 12 stolen base, bases in a ridiculous 1.058 OPS, which is just insane. And we call him two-way show because he also does it. On the pitching end, in 13 starts, Shoei is 3-1 with a 3.55 ERA, 86 strikeouts, and a 1.21 whip, which is fucking ridiculous. And on top of that, he's the first player in MLB history, long history with this uh, great league, to hit 30 home runs and to pitch at least 10 starts. All in 81 games so far. And he's the first AL player in history with 31 home runs and at least 12 stolen bases by All-Star break. And I just want us to pay attention to greatness. You know what I'm saying? I always said the MLB has a tough time. Uh, not tough time, but they don't even really try marketing their stars. But I think it's a double whammy with this one because of the market that he plays in. You know, if he was a Dodger, if he was a Yankee, if he was a Red Sox, shit, if he was a Cub, you wouldn't get enough of what he's doing right now. It would be everywhere. But Shohei is doing some stuff that we haven't even seen from some of the greats. You know what I'm saying? Like, he plays on a team with Mike Trout, who is arguably the best player in the game. He's putting up his own argument for him being the best player in the game. If you even look at the guys you want to compare him to, you know, we haven't seen a player do uh, both sides of the field, you know, with batting and pitching since Babe Ruth. You know, and a lot of those numbers, you know, uh, no disrespect to Babe Ruth, the Babe, but that was back in the day day. Like, this is a lot more impressive. And if you look at the numbers, and I'm going to name off these stats that I got from uh, Sports Illustrated, man. The first 332 games, we've got uh, the Say Hey Kid, Willie Mays, 72 home runs, 218 RBI with a 5.65 slugging percentage. Shohei Otani in the same amount. 77 home runs, 213 RBI with a 5.52 slugging percentage. It's it's just it's just fucking insane. If you look on the, on the pitching aspect, first twenty four games pitching Roger Clemens, ten 
and six record with a 4.23 ERA, 143 strikeouts. Shohei Otani, seven and four record with a 3.97 ERA and 149 strikeouts. So you're going up against two bona fide Hall of Famers, two guys who are some of the greatest players in the history of this game. And he's doing all this. And this is just what is what fourth year in the league. And I think the biggest question for Shohei was, could he be healthy? Is he going to put himself out there and put himself in danger by pitching and by hitting? And he's just been the guy who's even been even making, I won't say relevant because the angels aren't really relevant. And the angels have always been one of those teams, at least in the last 10 years where they're just there. They're a real 500 ass ball club. And it's the same thing right now, but he's giving them something where it's must see TV. He's up there right now with Fernando Tatis. Well, if you're a guy who you're not really a baseball fan and you just want to know who are some of the guys that are like box office that you want to watch, I got to give it to Shohei, man. Shohei right now is killing the league. And this is something to pay attention to. The All-Star Game is going to be next Tuesday in Colorado. He is not only going to be DHing, he is going to be pitching in that game, which is something we have not seen in the modern history of Major League Baseball, and that's something fun. So I want to give a shout-out to Shohei. I want to give a shout-out to all the Angels fans out there. I got to give a shout-out to my guy Damian. That's only an uh, Angel fan I know personally, man. He's been telling me about Shohei for the longest, even when they signed him. So big ups to him. That's my sound off. I just want to give it up to Shohei and everybody out there. So let's get into our rundown, man. When you watch this, tonight will be Game 2 of the NBA Finals, man, the Phoenix Suns are up one game to nothing. Uh, game one, the Suns won 118, Bucks 105. Uh, massive, massive game for Chris Paul. Chris Paul, 32 points, nine assists, four rebounds. He was shooting on 12 of 19, shooting from the field. DeAndre Ayton, 22 points, 19 rebounds. DeAndre Ayton joins Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Will Chamberlain as the only players with 2015 and 80% shooting in a Finals game in the shot clock era which is fucking ridiculous. And uh, DeAndre Ayton also has 12 double-doubles this postseason, only second in Suns history to Charles Barkley, who has 22. On the other side of it, Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo actually played a game. It was good to see him out there. When he got injured last week, I thought he was cooked. I didn't think there was no way he was going to be able to play on a hyperextension. He went out there, uh, had a moderate game, 20-17, and 17, which is in 35 minutes on 6-11 shooting. Um, but it was just really just good out there to see him go out there and actually be able to play. You know, there was a lot of plays. We look like he was laboring a little bit, you know, trying to get used to uh, the physical, the physicality of the game since being out for a week plus. Uh, Chris Middleton had a regular Chris Middleton game, 29 points on 12 or 26 shooting. Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, ladies and gentlemen, is still in checks. Drew Holiday had 10 points on 4 14 shooting. And, I, and uh, I don't have to stat up here, but I think he was like 0 for 4 from the three point line, if I'm not mistaken. I should have wrote that down. But. Let's talk about this game, man. Uh, one thing about this game is just Phoenix looks like a well-oiled machine. It's like every type of run that Milwaukee had, they answered right away. And it's just one of those things, man, where I feel like the biggest issue coming into this series was going to be the coaching aspect. We've got Monty Williams going up against a guy, Coach Bud, who has been outcoached, arguably, you say, every damn series of this playoffs. And it's just little things he did that just kind of like – kept them out of the game, like not going small to the end when they're down 15, 18 points in uh, the second half. And then when they once they finally did that, that's when they came back. But I think for the first time all playoffs, I saw Milwaukee look kind of slow. It's like they weren't the explosive team that they used to be. Of course, that a lot of had to do with Giannis' injury outside of the block Really, he didn't look like the usual Giannis speed. And I really don't think you can expect that from him long term because of coming off that. I think it's just a blessing that he's out there 
really in general, just to be playing. But the defensive strategy they had, it's like every bucket they were fighting for. And even in the other previous rounds, even the games that they were had, you know, rough shooting, and Milwaukee does that a lot, where they just have games where they just can't hit the side of the fucking rim. On this one, it looked like it wasn't just they were just having a bad night. They were getting locked the fuck down defensively. And you got to give that credit to uh, to Monty Williams, man. He really came out with a great game plan. And if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, you need a lot more. And I mean a lot more from Drew Holiday. He's got to be way more consistent. Can't out there be giving him 10 points a game, especially when you've got Giannis coming off an of injury. You got to get the Drew Holiday. You got to need the conference finals. Uh, Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton had your regular Chris Middleton game. He's probably going to give you a lot more from that but they can't have these games where they just like go cold from the three-point line is what you see that a lot in this tent in this uh playoff run for the milwaukee bucks because unlike the other teams you look at the three teams they play milwaukee uh, the miami heat or whatever uh the brooklyn nets were very very uh hurt so that's a different situation and atlanta none of those teams are what we see in phoenix right now and i feel like a lot of people are acting like phoenix is just here because the lakers got hurt or you know the nuggets had no jamal murray or the uh, clippers had no Kawhi Leonard. i mean injuries happen that's one thing we can't take away from them and also we got some acting like like phoenix didn't have the second best record in basketball this is a team who's consistently been great all season this is not like they're you know a, a playing team and they just happen to rise in the ranks and take advantage of these injuries they've been a great team all year chris paul has been dominating all year devin book has been great deandre ayton monty williams arguably was coach of the year this year so what we're seeing right now yes you take advantage of the of the breaks you get with the injuries and things like that but that's not the sole reason here and i hate hearing the asterisk talk man we can hear this really with any championship ever. And I really liked what Chris Paul said in his interview uh, before game one. He said, yo, there was a conversation in the players union uh, before the season started about pushing the season back. Nobody really, wasn't a lot of people really argued against it. So basically this is all these players right now, salty blaming the injuries because the team got eliminated. If, if your team didn't get eliminated, you wouldn't be up here crying about the shit. So I'm glad Chris Paul said that. Um, one thing about Phoenix that we're going to see, and I said, if you, if anybody listens to my Bald Online podcast on the Barber's Chair Network, me and homie Dante, I predicted the Phoenix is going to win this series in six games. I just feel like it's one of those things where uh, it's just it's just their time. You know how sometimes you have, you know, you really just can't explain it in sports where it's just a team's time or if it's a player's time. And this is a team they're not going to lose. They're just not going to lose. Now, I, and this is it's one game, a seven-game series. I think it's going to be a long and competitive series. I don't think Milwaukee is done. I think Milwaukee really, really has to win tonight in game two because you don't want to go back home. As great as they are at home, you don't want to go back home when you have to win both games against Phoenix, who's a pretty damn good road team. They're a pretty damn good road team. And you want to put your back against the wall, with, especially with your MVP, who's not 100%. So, uh, but let's go into CP3. CP3 and his legacy, man. And we always we always got to talk about legacy. In the words of whole, legacy, legacy, legacy. That's all we hear about in the NBA playoffs every year. But I think for this conversation, Chris Paul, is he, he smells the finish line. Anybody who follows me know I'm not the biggest Chris Paul fan. I never had anything, any beef with his actual game. We talking about talent-wise. With or without a championship, I think he's a top five point guard of all time. Uh, I just, you know, he just he just doesn't look like a likable person to me. And I just, you know, but that's a whole different discussion. When we talk about CP3 on the court, he he, he knows, his, you know, at his age, he's 36 years old, he's probably not going to get this opportunity again. So it's just one of those things where, you know, you have that that year, every year from a player, Jordan in 1991. 
uh, Shaq in 2000, um, you know, LeBron in 2012, Dirk in 2011, Kobe in 2009. Well, you just, they're just not going to lose. It's their time. They've gone through the trials and tribulations, and it's their time to be on top of the mountain. And it's just really what Chris Paul is is at right now in his career. And, you know, he had a rough first quarter, didn't have a basket, and he was just dominant, just dominant the rest of the game. And every little run they had, he would come down there, make a mid-range jumper, hit a three, you know, and playing a good defense. And one thing about Chris Paul that you're going to see, Chris Paul does all this without turning the ball over. So, It's really a championship is the only thing lacking from Chris Paul's resume right now. He's got all the all-star appearances. He's got all the different records. He's he's an Olympic gold medalist. To go out there and get that championship, I don't know how much it changes the top five conversation, depending on what your opinion is for it. I think it's still kind of the top three is still solidified, in my personal opinion, on my top five point point guard list i'm number one i've got the magic man you know Irvin johnson you can't that's a that's a uh a resume that i don't think is gonna be top for any type of point guard you know five nba championships they had like three mvps uh just just a run that magic had all the assist records uh number two i think i would have stephen curry there for what he's been doing three nba championships changed the way the game of basketball is played and he's just been a guy who just been dominant the last decade. You know, this has been the decade of LeBron and Steph, and he's the one you got to put over there. And then number three, I think it will be Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas arguably uh, has a top two finals run ever. I think, of course, you got to put Dirk Nowitzki's running there, you know, knocking off the San Antonio Spurs, knocking off the defending champion Los Angeles Lakers, knocking off the Miami Heat. But you got to take a look at what uh, – Isaiah did in 89. He's the only guy to knock off Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, and Michael and, and uh, Magic Johnson in one postseason. So we got to give him credit for that. And then he's also a little guy in a big man's era. So I think the th- top three is solidified with Magic, Steph, and Zeke. But Chris Paul's right there. Chris Paul's right there. And I think this championship will put him above a Jason Kidd, even though Jason Kidd has a championship too. You got to look at how, you know, Chris Paul is a better offensive player than Jason Kidd. He's a better defender, way better defender than Jason Kidd. So I think it'll solidify him right there. But just from a personal aspect, too, you could tell it bothers him, you know, that he was not a champion. And go through all the little, you know, craziness he's been through, big 3-1 leads, you know, getting hurt. 2018 might have been his opportunity to knock off the Warriors. They're the closest team to do it. Then he messes up his hamstring. It's like there's something always happening for Chris Paul. And so for him to finally get over that hump, I think there's really nothing else you can say about the guy. And this comes from somebody who not a lot of people criticize Chris Paul more than I have. I feel like he's been responsible for a lot of those collapses and a lot of the reasons that they didn't advance further. So even from just I just just watching players being able to elevate and, you know, and take control of their destiny, you got you got to respect. And he smells the finish line. I don't think. Unless this, I I don't I don't see really any way unless Giannis can go back to pre health wise Giannis and I just don't think that's realistic you know I think a lot of the play we saw in game one and what we're gonna see for the rest of the series is gonna be whatever drugs he's taking going into the game I don't know if that's really sustainable uh, to continue for an entire series I just think Chris Paul is just not going and I just think it's their year and I think it's Phoenix's year man I think we're just going to see you know just as a step up I don't think there's a flaw really right now. In Phoenix's game, one thing they do got to do, keep giving DeAndre Ayton the basketball. I feel like Phoenix, when they do a lot, they'll let Ayton dominate, and they forget he's on a fucking team. Keep doing what you did in game one. They don't have an answer for that. And if you're Milwaukee, you got to figure out 
how you going to defend this team? Putting Brooke Lopez, you know, switching Brooke Lopez on the Devin Booker and Chris Paul, that's just, you, you, that's suicide. You know, they were seeing it was cooking them, left and right, bucket out the bucket. They cannot do that, do that anymore. They need to find out a defensive scheme to slow this game down. They need way more from Drew Holiday. Um, and they just, you know, I don't know how much you can ask for Giannis with his knee injury, but they need Giannis to be as close to MVP Giannis as possible for them to actually get over the hump and win this series. But I do think it's going to be a close one. Uh, I'm going to say Milwaukee wins game two. I'm going to say Milwaukee wins game two. I think they'll find a way to uh, sneak one out because if they don't win game two, I think it's, it's really, really curtains, and it might be over in five. So big, big game for the Bucks tonight in game two. Um, let's get to the MLB, man. Let's talk a little bit of baseball right now. We're talking about pretenders and contenders. Contenders and pretenders. We're basically at the, at the halfway mark. We're past 81 games. Uh, you know, and it's crazy. This MLB is such a long damn season. 162 games with the halfway mark. All-star game will be on Tuesday in Colorado at Coors Field, home of the Colorado Rockies. The first all-star game in two years. I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, I had on my podcast, 4040 Club, we did a, uh, you know, even I actually did an article on Slick, Slick Sports, um, about who I felt were going to be the contenders coming into this season. And for the most part, I've been pretty spot on. I think the only team I was wrong about was the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees are like maybe a game over 500 right now. They're terrible. Uh, the pitching has been suspect like I thought. But they're like 12 games out of first place. And unless there's a massive trade, which the Yankees haven't done in an extremely long time. Uh, they're cooked. So we're going to look at some of the teams who I feel like are the legit contenders, some team that, despite the good record, I don't buy in. So let's go into our contender list. We're going to start off with my Chicago White Sox right now. As we speak right now, the Chicago White Sox are 51-35. and There are seven games up in their division in the AL Central over the Cleveland Racial Slurs. Uh, we got the Houston Astros right now who are looking like a well-oiled machine. They're 53-33. and They are four and a half games up in the uh, AL, uh, in the AL South. Not the AL South. Yeah, AL South. <laughs> um, over the, uh, oh, AL West, my bad. That's the AL South. AL West over the Oakland A's. Um, then we got on the NL, the d- defending World champion Los Angeles Dodgers, 53-33. and 33. Even though they've lost their last two, they're still, and they're only a game out of first place. They are 8-2 and two in their last 10. They are cooking right now. And then the other contender I have to go to, Fernando Tatis Jr. and the San Diego Padres, who are 50-37. and 37. They are four and a half out of first place. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. Now, you probably wonder, why do you have two teams that are in second and third place in their division as legit contenders? And that goes to my first pretender, who are the San Francisco Giants. They're 53 and 31. They're only one up on the Dodgers, four and a half up on the Padres. They're five and five in the last 10. The reason why I think San Francisco is a pretender and why I trust the Dodgers and the Padres more is because the Giants are a little, they're a little ahead, ahead of schedule in their rebuild. They've got a lot of young guys on their team. It's a nice little mix of young guys and veterans. I appreciate the Buster Posey comeback story, one of the greatest catches we've seen in the game. But I just don't think they have enough. When it comes to uh, whether it's the best of five series in the DS or best of seven in the championship to get over the hump of playing the Padres or playing the Dodgers, which is what they're going to have to see. And I just don't believe that like, you got to have the pitching in the playoffs. You got the clutch hitting. You have a team like the Dodgers who've been there. There's no team in the league who's been there more than the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been the most consistent team in baseball over the last decade with eight uh, division championships. They've been to about three World Series, finally won one last year. They know what it takes to win 
a championship. They just really just got to get in. They get their feet in, get their feet in. They're going to be the team that I feel like is going to come out the National League. And if you look at San Diego, San Diego way better pitching than San Francisco also, and they're just a team that they explosive. They're probably the most explosive out of these three teams. They can just score runs with ease, and I feel like that's going to keep them in the game and get them elevated over the San Francisco Giants. My other pretender would be the Boston Red Sox. Boston Red Sox, 54-32. They are uh, number one in the AL, AL East. They are four and a half up on the Tampa Bay Rays. They are nine and one in their last 10 games. And what's really been impressive, what they've been doing, they were trash last year. Um, they're doing all this despite not having their ace, Chris Sale. Should be back in the second half of the season, even though they're going to gradually move him in. Not expecting him to do heavy uh, innings. So I don't really know how much you can expect from this team. You've been getting a lot of production from uh, – they're two all-stars, Raphael Devers, Xander Bogarts. It's been a very, very well-coached team ever since uh, Alex Cora got back off of suspension. And they've played much better than I thought. But if you look at the landscape of the AL, I think it's a two-team race right now. You got the Houston Astros and you got my White Sox. And I think the biggest thing with the American League is going to be the White Sox health. The White Sox are probably the most hurt team in baseball. I have not seen a team be this damaged really in any of the teams I root for. I mean, this is a team that if you look at the lineup as constructed right now, there is only two guys, two guys that are on this lineup who were projected to be the only opening day lineup as Tim Anderson. And that is Jose Abreu. You know, you've got Elo Jimenez on the I.L., Luis Robert on the I.L. Yasmani Grandel just had surgery today. He's going to miss the next four to six weeks with the, with the calf, with the calf injury he had. And, that's not even adding, you know, them getting rid of Adam Eaton. They cut him today. Finally, he was a terrible addition to the team. So you're asking a lot of this team, but despite all that, the seven games up. So if they can get, they, they expected to get Eloy Jimenez back by July, get Luis Robert back by August, mid-August, and then hopefully you get Yasmani back at the end of, sep, you know, at the beginning of September. Maybe he can be a September call-up, and you mix that up with the youth. But the biggest reason for the White Sox being number one right now is the starting pitching. The White Sox are the first team this year to have four starting pitchers with over 100 strikeouts in the first half of the season with Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, Lucas Giolito, and Dylan Cease. And that's been really the story of this season, why they've been able to do this. So if the White Sox can get healthy, they can go out there and they can hit with anybody. They're going to have one of the most stacked lineups in the league, and they're going to have the starting pitching to be able to go out there and win the championship. Now, of course, the weaknesses with the team is who's going to be the seventh and eighth inning guy come to playoffs. You've got Michael Kopech, who's good, but they need to get a couple more relievers in there to really strengthen that bullpen. And you've got maybe the best closer in baseball, Liam Hendricks. Once you get to the ninth inning, it's pretty much a wrap. So that would be the number one uh, like question mark. Can the Sox get healthy in time for a very big, uh, very long October run? Now, if you look to the Houston Astros, the Astros, I would say, are public enemy number one. Nobody likes the Houston Astros. Me personally, I kind of fuck with the Astros. I like the villain aspect they're going. Carlos Correa, one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, Jose Altuve, they've been really the villains ever since that cheating scandal that happened two years ago. A lot of people didn't like the fact that they didn't get suspended, they didn't get their uh their championship revoked, any of that shit. And they went out there and they had a deep playoff run last year. And now they're out here and they're looking like a well-oiled machine. They haven't really had any problems. They they kicked the White Sox ass two weeks ago. And that would, to to me, 
if I had to bet money right now, gun to head, I would pick the Houston Astros to come out the American League just because I don't know how healthy my team will be come October. So they would have to be the favorite, and that would line up for a World Series rematch that a lot of you want to see between the Astros and the Dodgers. We all know the Dodgers felt like they were robbed at a championship three years ago because of the cheating scandal. So that, to me, is why I don't trust Boston. It's not because really what Boston's doing. I think Boston's having a good team. I think Boston will, very be, will be very competitive come playoff time. But I don't think they have enough to get over the hump and beat Houston or beat the White Sox in a series. So that's who I would go with my first half contenders and pretenders. But a lot of this is going to change. We're going to see we're a couple weeks away from trade deadline. It's going to be very interesting. Are the White Sox going to add? Are the Yankees going to swing it a big trade and get back into this race? That's one thing I love about baseball. It's, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a fucking marathon, man. We don't know what's going to happen, but this is when the season gets real. This is when it starts to pick up, man, and, and really, really interesting to see how these teams are going to, you know, continue. But gun to my head, I'm going to Put my World Series prediction out there. My World Series prediction at the beginning of the season I had was Dodgers-White Sox, and I am sticking to it. I'm sticking to it. I think the Dodgers are going to win the National League, and I think the White Sox, I think we will get healthy in time to make a big playoff run as long as we don't sustain any more injuries, as long as we can keep our starting rotation healthy. This is a team that I feel like when we get our guys back, nobody can mess with us on both sides of the ball. So that's why I'm going to go with the White Sox and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, we are back, guys, for another guest here on I'm Not Going to Hold You, man. Our next guest is hosting the Summer of 54 Tapping Event next Tuesday, Tuesday, July 13th at 5 p.m. at Haymarket Pub and Brewery on 737 West Randolph Street in Chicago, Illinois. All proceeds of this event will be donated to Lost Boys, Lost Boys Inc., which is a South Shore-based organization that provides instruction and the competition of organized baseball and softball to youth who are not likely exposed to the game. We need a lot more of that. Today, I've got Jay Westbrook here, man. He is the brewmaster over the Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago. Jay, what is going on, bro? Glad to have you on the show. Hey, what's good with the what's good? I'm happy to be here. Definitely, man. Let's uh, let's just get right into it, man. So you got the Summer of 54 event uh, going on, man. I've seen it on, on my timeline with my homie uh, Shakia. I know you've been working, you're working with her on this event. Uh, so I want to get you on, you know, talk about it because I feel like this is something dope that you guys are doing. I like that you guys, you know, sending all the proceeds, trying to get, you know, as many people involved in this beautiful game of baseball. Out here. So tell me, like, where the original idea started from, uh, what you want to accomplish with it, and basically how it all got started. Uh, first and foremost, big shouts to Shakia. This all came out of a, a random weeknight phone call. I was sitting at home. I think I was watching SVU and she was at the crib with her dog Lola and she called me out the blue and it's weird because she never calls me, but uh, she called me and she was like, I, uh, I want to do something for Ernie Banks and Minnie Minoso and you should brew a beer about it. And, you know, most people, a lot of people pitch beer, uh, beer ideas to me, you know, and I try to take it with a grain of salt without right. being dismissive, but she is kind of one of those people that when she speaks up, you want to hear what she has to say. Definitely. And so I told her, I get, I told her I get back at her, you know, when I came up with an idea, you know, uh, you know, a direction in which I wanted to go in with it. I kid you not 20 minutes later, I had bullet point after bullet point <laughs> after bullet point. I mean, it, it literally just wrote itself. I think I was done with the whole idea, say for the recipe before the episode of SVU was over. So, damn. 
it's always when you get like an idea coming, like I do the same thing too. Like sometimes I just let it like sit for a minute and it just like all hits you at, at, at one particular time, man. So, so I know you guys are doing two, two different days, right? Two different days on the, on the event. So now with the t-shirt, you've got, uh, it's like South side influence, North side influence. Um, Absolutely. so what exactly like with this, like what made you want to get up with lost boys and like to really like make this a thing to kind of where you would donate the proceeds instead of just doing like, you know, something regular event. Uh, well, again, it all ties back to Shakia and the Yahoo piece for the uh, privilege of play series that she wrote about lost boys, read it, loved it, realized along the way that they were literally spitting distance from my house. We're both based in South shore. They're literally right down the street from me, not more than a five minute walk. And so this being a baseball themed beer and kind of aligning with my own personal ideology of purpose driven brewing, not just brewing a beer to make a beer, but having somebody benefit from what it is that I'm doing and getting that shine that they might not be afforded on their own accord. It just made perfect sense to kind of line everybody up since Levante and Shakir already had an existing relationship. Got to know Levante, uh, awesome dude, you know, and it just felt right from the get go. And I definitely was adamant about let's get these kids some uh, equipment. Now that we're living in, you know, COVID times, kids can't share equipment the way we used to right. pre-COVID. So if we're rostering three catchers, that's three sets of catching equipment, and that's three hundred dollars per child, yeah. and not. Not a lot of these families have that kind of disposable income to provide for things like that. And I, I was also adamant about the fact that the African-American baseball players kind of going extinct. Yeah. And I think the game needs to come back to the hood. You know, I mean, we do have black ball players, but it's the African-American ball player that I'm kind of worried about kind of falling by the wayside. So I wanted to do anything I could help that I could to help uh, Lost Boys and get that, you know, get that thing popping. Definitely. That's, that's definitely great. I definitely agree with that, too. Like, I feel like you got players like, you know, like Tim Anderson. You got a lot of the guys on the Seattle Mariners who I feel like, uh, you know, really kind of like holding the flag for the American-born uh, black ba uh, baseball players. So how did you get into baseball? Because I know I always get excited when I run into black people who love the game as much as I do because it's like five of us that I know. So, like, what what did what, – you know, what, basically, what's your origin story of how you got into the game, you know, what strength of your love for the game of baseball? Well, I fell in love with the game of baseball actually via the Cubs because I didn't always have cable as a kid, but I always had WGN. Yep, yeah. So I had some some level of accessibility to the game, and it just made me fall in love with it. But it really started uh, when I went to high school back in 95. I ended up going to De La Salle in, Chicago, in Chicago's Bronzeville neighborhood, which, as you know, is literally right down the street from uh, Sox, Comiskey, whatever we're calling it today. And at the time when I was in high school, the Sox – would use our parking lot for fan parking and we would call it a white Sox schedule and we get out of class at one o'clock and then we walk over to the ballpark and if we wore our de la salle tie we got into the game for free oh, that's fire so that's what made me a Sox fan and i never ever let never me. ever look back <laughs> yeah it's always that that one thing i feel like with chicago it's like there's always like somebody in your family even if you're a Sox fan like i am there's somebody in your family who has like cub ties like my mom was a mm -hmm. diehard cub fan but my dad my first white Sox, first game I ever went to was white Sox game i saw frank thomas i see a guy a black guy and he's Going out there, dominating the game, I, I fell in love with it right exactly. there. Exactly. So let's talk about the exactly. state. 
Let's talk about the state of current Chicago baseball. You know, you got it's telling telling two situations right now. You got the White Sox, you know, <laughs> we're number one in, you know, the American League Central right now. As we're recording this, hopefully it looks like we're gonna win our fifty first game today. Uh, despite all the injuries that we've been having. I've never seen anything like that. And on the north side, you it's got the It's really Cubs. remarkable to watch. It's it, it's really, you know how they say next man up? It's beyond that at that point. It's like, it's really incredible. I've never seen nothing like that. And you have the north side, where they started off real hot. And now they're going mm-hmm. on one of the worst losing streaks I've ever seen. So let's talk about the Sox real quick. What do you what, what have you seen out of this first half that like kind of gives you you know, some hope that we can get past this injury storm and go out there and get a World Series? Uh, well, the first and most important thing and the reason we're, ha- we're able to have this conversation is that starting rotation. Yeah. One through five just absolutely balls to the wall. You know, you, you don't have a weekly cadet rotation right now. And that's really what's kept the Sox afloat, along with some timely contributions from new additions like Brian Goodwin, Billy Hamilton. Shouts to that man for that catch last night. Amazing I've been watching catch. it all morning. Amazing All catch. morning. Yeah. But uh, even Gavin Sheets, you know, uh, Jake Berger just hit, just muscled an oppo, uh, a, a oppo blast off the, off, the, off the wall that was on the inside pitch, like right before we started taping. And it's just like, there's very much a next man up. Like, I don't really subscribe to that notion because there is going to be a drop off, but right. it absolutely has been kind of a next man up type of thing like a you're in the lineup and you need to come through because if you look at it tim's just finally getting on the correct side of batting 300 again jose's not having his jose-ish summer like he usually does he warmed up and then he kind of fell by the wayside with a couple weirdo injuries and i I don't know what's going on with this team i i I swear they travel with a black cat but maybe that (laughs) that cat ain't so bad right still in first place and it it also helps that the rest of the division is not really that's terrible so it's terrible i I will take advantage of that all you gotta do like for good teams you beat the team you're supposed to Go 500 with the good teams, you'll make it to, you know, the playoffs, man. I think that's the the recipe uh, for success. Who would you say will be the White Sox MVP right now, you know, the first half? See if you could just name one guy. Oof. Uh, 1A Lance Lynn, 1B Carlos Rodon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I don't think any Sox fans saw – Carlos Rodon being what he is this year. I think this year I was just like, man, I just hope he can at least give me something. If he can be a productive fifth starter, we'll take that. I didn't see him going out there. He's arguably the Cy Young right now. If you, you know, if you look I at def- I definitely have some bread down on him winning the uh, <laughs> League Cy Young. That's actually Shout a good DraftKings. Shout out to DraftKings. But, uh, <laughs> but uh Carlos Rodon, he's always been snake bitten by injuries. He's never really had a chance to be healthy and show that he can contribute. And now it's kind of a revelation because oh wait, he's fucking healthy and this is what he does. But if you go back and you listen to people talk about Carlos Rodon, this is always what he's been. Yeah. It's just that he was snake bitten by injuries, kind of unlucky, but I guess he kind of passed that trick to the rest of the team this season. Definitely. Uh, with the North side, man, what from like, uh, you know, we like to laugh at the Cubs. I like to laugh at them all the time. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's quite hilarious to me. But from, uh, if we want to look at just from a baseball perspective, what do you, what do you do if you're Jay Hoy? I've asked like people this question the last couple of weeks, like now they're about nine out, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you mm-hmm. let go out there and see what you can get for Rizzo and Brian or and Bias since you're not going to sign all of them? What would you do or you, what do you, you think he should do? 
I mean, you're talking to a Sox fan that bartends in Wrigleyville. I mean, I'm sorry, Lakeview, because Wrigleyville is not a real place. Uh, <laughs> straight down the street from the ballpark. And uh, one thing I do know is that they can't really trade generous benefactor Tony Rizzo. He can't go anywhere. Yeah. Chris Bryant's probably out of there, as is Craig Kimbrell. But you have to keep at least Rizzo and Baez. Now, speaking to the uh, the season that they're having, this is always who that team was. Yeah. I mean, we knew going into the season that this team really wasn't going to be able to hit the ball. That was one of the biggest, like, red flags. I was like, this team can't hit. So when they got hot and they took over first place in the NL Central, I kept telling people that this is an aberration. This is the exception, not the rule. Yep. If the, you know, you know, eventually the bottom's going to fall out of it. I'm not saying to the tune of 11 straight losses, and that's something they got to deal with, but it's just you know, this is always who they were. It, it sucks because they're wasting an amazing season by Kimbrel. They're wasting an amazing season by Chris Bryant, who's played five, six positions. Which I feel like Covens don't uh, deserve Chris Bryant. Like everybody's like he gets injured. Like yeah, he's playing six <laughs> different damn positions. Like you get hurt yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, man's them is basically working with no days off. Body's going to eventually have some aches and pains coming from that. I kid you not, the other night I actually had a dream that the Sox traded for Chris Bryant, and he ended up in right field for us. But I hey, would love that. I've had only... crazier dreams come true. <laughs> my, yeah, I had a dream come true in, in April. That was we get Justin Fields, and God listen to my dreams. <laughs> now, I, oh, yeah. I would love that. <laughs> but uh, one last question for I, me. I, I, Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I just would be worried about what, you know, the Sox will potentially be giving up to make a move right. on Chris Byrne or anybody the hell else for that matter. I'm very much adamant about not mortgaging a potential future. great future for yeah. when now. Well, I think so, with that, it kind of depends on what player you're getting. Like, the, the, the reason why the Chris Bryant potential trade would be so shaky to me because I don't want to watch Andrew Vaughn and Garrett Crochet on the north side. Like, I I, would, I just don't want to see right. that. And if anybody knows Scott Boris, he's not going to sign an extension after the trade. He's 100% hitting nope. that market. So I don't want to nope. give up my studs. And then we all know the Rhyme stuff ain't paying him $330 million like what Chris Runt wants. Uh, Absolutely not. So that's that's why I will be off of. But I'm really interested to see what they do at the deadline because there's a more than anything. I would I think they gotta get some bullpen help. Like outside of Kopech and Hendricks, I trust nobody in that bullpen. And only and that only way you win championships, great bullpen. We see it time and time again. So they they, they got to fix that. Um, one last question before I get you out of here, man. What? We talk about the, the baseball side of it. What kind of, like, you know, drew your love for, like, beer and, like, with that whole thing with brewing and stuff like that? Like, where, where did that come from? I, I've always been passionate about good food and great drink. And once I made my transition out of the uh, corporate life, I got tired of wearing suits every day. <laughs> uh, I, I, I still tell people I aspire to dress like John Cena and get paid to do it. <laughs> I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, <laughs> but... I was always fascinated with beer. And then once I started to kind of look into the creative process that goes into it, I realized that it allowed me to be myself, but also it allowed me to express myself creatively. Sorry, it's not even a word. But, but, you know, and I started to study, you know, what brewing is. And then I realized it's a lot of stand around and waiting it's a lot of math. It's a lot of cleaning. Like, y'all get the end product of it. Y'all get the tap parties, and that's fun. But, but y'all see the work you know, to go into. 
you know, on these 8 a.m. brew days and I'm lifting 800, 900 pounds worth of grain, you know, oddly, that's fun for me. Like, that makes me feel good. Like, I'm actually putting my blood, sweat, and tears into something that I can give to someone else and they can enjoy it. As somebody who's a big uh, beer drinker, uh, I we appreciate people like you for, for putting together the great uh, beer that we drink. Uh, once again, man, the Summer 54 Tapping Event is this coming Tuesday, July 13th, 5 p.m. at the Haymarket Pub and Brewery, Chicago, 737 West Randolph Street. Let them know where, uh, where they can get the ticket set. Let them know where they can follow you at and get in tune with you, where they can do all of that. Absolutely. Uh, you can get tickets to Tuesday's Tapping Event at Haymarket's uh, talk page exploretalk.com slash haymarketbeer. We also have a Northside tap party that following Thursday at the beautiful Nisei Lounge, which is my background. You can see that, but they can't. Uh, that is also on Nisei's talk page. That'll be Thursday, July 15th. And then next uh, Friday, that'll be July 23rd, we'll be at Mitchell's Tap on 33rd and Halsted because we got to represent the South Side, All especially day. since that's where I'm from. Yes, so sir. we'll be there next Friday, July 23rd, 9 p.m. Summer 54 is tasting awesome. It's a ruby red grapefruit and mango IPA. Again, a tribute to Ernie Banks and Minnie Minoso and their origin stories. And like I said, we're just trying to tell a story through beer. Definitely. And big shout out to Nisei Lounge. They they hosted uh, our NBA Finals party we had two years ago doing uh, the Warriors and the Raptors, I think it was. So shout out to all the good people over there, man. So definitely, man, yeah. thank you for having Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hear how the event went. I wish I was in town to go to it. But um, once again, man, thanks for having, for joining us today. I appreciate y'all. Peace and love. Now, we are here for my Goofy Mog of the Week, man. Uh, this one, I'm going to get real deep on this one. This is a topic that's really just kind of been disturbing me all week. We know the situation that's going on with ESPN. There was an article that came out on the New York Times this week stating the situation that happened last year at the bubble uh, where there was video. There was not video, but audio caught of um, Rachel Nichols getting upset that Maria Taylor was going to be on the NBA Finals coverage and not her. And this just really went into a whole big kind of deal on Twitter about white people, specifically white women, uh, getting upset at, you know, black women getting these uh, opportunities in media. And it just, you know, everybody's at the, oh, Rachel's an ally and she wouldn't do this. The thing about Rachel Nichols, and I've met Rachel Nichols. Rachel Nichols was cool when I met her, but like Jamel Hill said on uh, Levitard's show, just because she, just because my personal experience with is fine, does not mean that's the type of person she is. My issue with this is a multiple. It's a, it's a multiple things I have problems with. Number one, Rachel Nichols got a lot of fucking nerve to get upset about this opportunity when she has been gifted things that she's gotten to ESPN. Well, a lot of people don't know is her mother-in-law is Diane Sawyer. Diane Sawyer is basically the fucking queen of ABC. So you get handed some shit like this and you're upset at a woman, a black woman who's going out there and works for everything she's gotten to get a little bit of shine to cover the NBA finals. And you go up there and in the audio, you're laughing. And uh, I don't know the guy's name. I don't know. Ben Mendelson. I don't know his first name. I probably should have wrote that down. Mendelson, who was LeBron James 
uh, and the Lakers uh, spokesperson. And, you know, he was caught on tape saying, oh, I'm tired. I'm getting exhausted from BLM and Me Too. And she's in the background giggling. Ha, 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 you too? It's bullshit. Not only are you going out there with the fake ally shit on on uh, TV on the jump that you were doing last year, doing a bubble, talking about Black Lives Matter and all this other shit. And you're not only laughing at that, you're laughing at the Me Too uh, movement, which affects your... your uh, your fellow female co-workers out here who might have been sexually harassed or sexually assaulted, you're making it look like a small thing. And I just don't, and it's, and ESPN is full of shit too. ESPN has a, a culture of doing this. We've seen former ESPN people come out and say this. Jamel Hill and Michael Smith have been very vocal about the shit that's been going on at ESPN for years. Dan Levitar has been vocal about that. We had Mike Hill, one of the legendary sports center anchors, come out this week and said he had a meeting with ESPN before he left. When they told him, you're too ghetto, and that's why you have you won't advance in this company, and we already have one of those. And he is referencing Stuart Scott, the great Stuart Scott, saying he was too ghetto. So I have a problem with that. I have a problem with Rachel Nichols, but the biggest problem I have out here is black men, we've got to be more accountable in sticking up for black women. The shit you've been seeing out here from Steven Jackson, and I don't know who the fuck made Steven Jackson the voice of black people. With all due respect, I understand that George Floyd was your homie. I get that. But that doesn't make you the spokesperson of us. Going out to saying that Maria uh, Taylor shouldn't accept the job because it's a petty job. Get the fuck out of here. Maria Taylor is probably the second most important asset to that company outside of Stephen A. Smith. She does everything. She doesn't just do NBA coverage. She does NFL coverage. She does college game day all the time with these guys. She has earned everything she's given. For you go out there and say, well, Rachel helped me with this. Rachel helped me with that. And that might be true. Rachel might have helped you with that shit. But you don't have to bring down another black woman because of this. We don't know what the fuck she does behind scenes. And I'm just tired of all, you know, the, the the tap dancing we're seeing. Kendrick Perkins going up there tap dancing for it. And then he goes on Twitter space and say, well, I got a family to feed. That's fine. I can respect the family to feed, family to feed thing. But if that's the case, just shut the fuck up. You don't have to go out there and caping for her. It's better that you shut the fuck up than go out there and caping for this white woman who doesn't give a fuck about you. So I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of all the tap dancing that comes to these things. And we just got to get bound to the nitty gritty of this. And we just go out there and support these people. You don't have to. I've seen way too many black, way too many black men. I hit caping for this white woman. And it just, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, we need to have more accountability. And that's also why we need to respect these other media outlets that are black run. Because they, at the end of the day, they don't give a fuck about you. They don't. They don't care about your black ass. They don't give a fuck about Stephen A. Smith. And he out there doing 50 shows for these motherfuckers. They don't care. So we need to go out there and we need to support our people and stop worrying about the other bullshit. And we can't be out here caping for these white folks because you think they're a fucking ally. At the end of the day, the reason that Rachel Nichols probably gave guys like Richard Richard Jefferson and Stephen A. Not Stephen A. Smith. Stephen Jackson and Kendra Perkins these opportunities because you're not a threat to them. You're a man. You're not a threat to her. She sees Maria Taylor as a threat, and she has a problem with that. And also, Rachel Nichols can get the fuck out of here with that little 20-second uh, apologies. She be having uh, monologues on Twitter beef, NBA Twitter beef, that's longer than that shit. Get the fuck out of here, man. So I'm tired of that shit. ESPN can kiss my ass with that shit. Rachel Nichols can kiss my ass with that shit. And we just need to just go ahead and just, and just, and just, and just really support other media outlets. The ESPN used to be the big conglomerate. I'm not going to sit up here and act like ESPN wasn't 
um, motivation. I, mean, I used to watch ESPN all the damn time. They are the, the the number one network. But now you're losing all this important talent because you're not treating them well. You have a long list of people: Kerry Champion, Dan Lebatard, Jamel Hill, Michael Smith, and now you have a, now you might lose Maria Taylor, who's really one of the the, the few people you got left. And I want to give a shout out to Jalen Rose's daughter. She had a very very uh good video that I thought. When she was calling out the shit ESPN did. If you want to keep it all the way funky, it's not like fucking Rachel Nichols is fucking Doris Burke. She's not. She ain't that good. She ain't that good if you want to be a hundred with it. Hundred with it. So I want to give a shout out to her. I want to give a shout out to Jalen Rose. And also, I really love seeing Malika Andrews and Maria Taylor doing the game one coverage. Malika Andrews is another hardworking woman in that company. So I just want us to go out here and support black men. I'm talking to us. We need to support black women more instead of just oh, well, you know, she shouldn't take that job because she ain't earned it. It's bullshit, and I'm tired of it. So that's my Goofy Mark of the Week. Give it to Rachel Nichols, ESPN, and all you dudes out there who's out here caping for this bullshit, man. So that's my Goofy Mark of the Week for this week. Once again, man, thank you guys for joining me. Episode 3 of I'm Not Gonna Hold You, man. You know where to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Scott. You can follow the gang HMB Media on Twitter and Instagram at HMB Media TV. You can follow the Barber's Chair Network at Barber's Chair Net. You can subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Barber's Chair Network. $5 package, summer sessions, $10. Barber's Chair, all access, man. We got everything up there for you. We support everybody who uh, subscribes to our Patreon, all 73 of y'all. We, we fuck with y'all. I want to get this up to 100 by the end of the summer. Let's get those numbers up. And as usual, man, we'll be back next week. Y'all have a great weekend. Enjoy the NBA Finals. Enjoy the MLB All-Star Game. I'm out.